Hi and hello, watch friends. I'm Aloma Joseph, your friendly. Well, I don't even know what I am because Rob asked me to do the intro, so let me call myself the friendly jeweler. I'm here with our friendly neighborhood watchmaker, Rob Nuts, who seems to believe he's Spider Man since the last few couple of weeks. I don't know if he banged his head on the ski slopes a few weeks ago, but we are very excited to record today's episode with Pietro Tomayer from the limited edition. I'm very excited to have you on the show, Pietro. Thank you very much, Alan. It's a great honor and a pleasure. I'm a keen listener to the, to the show and uh, I'm really happy to be here with, the, with you and Rob today. So the honor and pleasure is all ours because since day one, when Rob and I came up with the idea of the real-time show, we also said that we want retailers on the show. Officially, I am a retailer, but we speak as little as possible about my retail business, only if it really adds value to the uh, perspective of the story and the questioning. And I was adamant for our first retailer on this show, which is you. I wanted you and only you because I really look up to you. I think you're very innovative. You do something new, actually. So I'm very excited to have you here. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, said you know coming from the uh, conceiver and of, of the watch base for example and for from the guy that actually introduced digital uh, digital into retailing watches uh, a long time ago from you know ne- netherlands and worldwide that means means a lot uh, thank you so much thank you peter uh, rob just to check you're here just say hi to our dear listeners Hi, Spider-Man, checking in, just swinging in from the side there, yeah. Uh, I did bang my head. It's had a great effect on my personality, but not on my respect for Pietro and for you, Alon. Wow, look at that. So you got all of that kudos straight back at you because a lot of our listeners probably don't know what kind of a pivotal role you played in the early days of e-commerce in the watch industry, but that is something that I have always had a great deal of respect for as well. So look at that. That look at all the respect flying around. I'm not getting much of it directed, but I'm not a retailer. That's fine. That's okay. Although I do sell watches every so often, as as we all know. You should you should have the the biggest respect as a watchmaker because uh, you know I fall into that category of people talking a lot about watches, but then if you put you know putting my hands on a on a watch movement or uh, you know let alone uh, let alone any technical device, um, I would really struggle. So you know, tons of respect to you, Rob. Oh, my words. Oh, you did that very well. You must be a media professional. Talking of media professionals and watchmakers that you work with, yesterday I recorded with uh, Dave Brailsford of Garrick, and we were just talking off air about how beautiful that Ice Blue S4 is. What's it been like for you to work with him? Oh, yes. I, um, I'm really looking forward to that episode because we managed to get uh, uh, Dave on board for a live interview only last month after having you know, insisted for the last two, three years. And uh, it was it was great to uh, yeah to uh, interact with him and have his perspective on these incredible things that are happening to to Garrick. I remember the uh, the brand, if we could call it a brand. You know, we're talking, of course, artisanal watchmaking in the early days when, uh, like a little bit like us with the limited edition, we were kind of conceiving a concept. You know, never very sure about whether this concept would have worked. And God, it has worked for them as Garrick now is uh, it's become a really, really sought after and a big success in the niche we are talking about. And uh, yes, we had the honor and the privilege to uh, to create a timepiece together, the one version of the S4, which comes with the ice blue dial, 
Actually, the ice blue color is reserved to us by Garrick for um, the S4, for the S5, and in the future, eventually for the the next uh, collections that will come uh, will come available. So, yeah, we have built a, a, a bond and a, and a great relationship with uh, with Dave for as difficult as it is, you know, obviously not notoriously to create bonds with uh, <laughs> with Dave uh, being such the, the the crazy character he is. We love him for that. That's amazing. And we were talking about all the pivotal things we've done, all three of us, and uh, why we're sitting here. Because the connecting factor is the huge passion for watchmaker we all have. So, Pietro, we we need to wrap around our heads around who you are, what the limited edition is. Because if I need to summarize, I don't even know where to start. Are you a media company? Are you a retailer? You are Italian, but you're in the UK. So for our dear listeners, to start off with, the limitededition.co.uk. So .uk is the website. But Pietro is, 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 is a media force as well. You can find him and his team on Instagram, the limitededition.uk. And they're taking YouTube by storm today. And the handle is at the limited edition. So Petro, please tell us, who are you? How did you get from Italy to England? Why do you love watches? And what is the limited edition? Oh, why? Wow. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep that uh, nice and uh, nice and short. The limited edition, I realized talking to, you know, clever people like yourself, uh, Alan and, and, and Rob, we just had a, an offline conversation and you said, uh, basically, the limitation is a bit of a retailer disguise, disguising as a media, as a media agency. And uh, yes, I think that's what we are. Uh, but by mistake and by coincidence, it was never a grand plan to become what we are today. I am. Um, I have been in the, in the industry as an insider, like all of you, especially uh, Rob. When you when you were involved with uh, with brands in the past, um, Nomos, for example, I used to be the guy for you know the Richmond Group for Girard Perigo for Graham watches later on to go around and to visit markets overseas, Middle East, uh, uh, Eastern Europe, um, um, Asia-Pacific area, and try to explain what independent uh, niche watchmaking was all about. And I was trying to convince retailers like Alan <laughs> to take a chance on smaller brands, on the independents, um, especially starting from when I was a Girard Perigo. And I had, you know, I had some luck but not a lot of luck across the years. I, I kind of, I have to say, I have to admit, it was always a battle for getting retailers involved, giving you a chance and actually trusting you on the fact that one day these independents would have become a success uh, that could have made possible for those retailers to actually not depend on the usual five six brands that, you know, uh, regionally, depending on the area in the world, one or the other retailer would, would leverage on. So, yeah, you could be, I found, an, um, I found you could be a good salesman once, but then if the brand was not performing the way the retailer was expecting, then you would have had a, a problem because, of course, um, because of the investment and because of the time that retailers were putting into trying to develop these, uh, these brands. So, I really critically analyzed why that was, you know, that uh, I knew there were collectors around the world loving independent watchmakers, but why were these collectors not necessarily appealing to the uh, to the high street retailers to to feed their passion for the independent artisanal watchmakers? And I my my reasoning was very basic. I just said, you know, there is a magic 
fantastic grey instrument, which is the internet, which is in the, in 2014 was still seen as a as a place where to find just bargains on on watches. You know, go on eBay, try to get your Speedmaster and your you know whatever you're you're looking for at a at a good price. And that's what the internet is is about. You know, I'm a keen guitar collectors and uh, collect, uh, sorry, collector is a big word. I'm I'm a, I'm a guitar lover, and I know for a fact that. It was the same in the guitar industry as well back in the days. Go online, try to find a bargain and get yourself a nice Gibson Les Paul at a at a at a, at a low price. And I thought, why why could I could we not use on the other side the, the internet to try to create knowledge and try to try to create um, how can I say awareness about these artisanal watchmakers that by definition they spend their time making watches. They have no time. Or, you know, more and more these days, but back in the days, nearly 10 years ago, they had no time to go online and to make videos and to present their, their work, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, be, I decided to become that, that one guy that would be at once the retailer and the storyteller. And it's, I didn't know whether it would have worked or not. And to be honest, in the first two or three years, we were selling nothing. <laughs> so I had very patient friends, shareholders that gave me all the time in the world. And then at one point, things started to click, you know, it was starting from a year, one year before the pandemic. And then the pandemic have, has accelerated that because people had more time on their hands to, to listen to our stories. And to close this little introduction, uh, we've always tried to keep a certain honesty and a, a, a certain straightforwardness, if you like, in all the contents that we create, because actually... We are not a media company. We are not professional, a professional media company. You know, there's lots of flaws in what we do, but we have always decided to give the content the priority. So what we talk about rather than how we portray the story, uh, for as much as we try to improve, you know, week in, week out, uh, but we are, you know, we're not even comparable to channels like, you know, Swiss Watch Gang, or, you know, the, 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 the great guys in the, in the media, in our own industry. But it kind of works. So we talk to people that are interested in the in in what we are talking about, rather than portraying a lifestyle that doesn't necessarily belong to us. And I'll uh, I'll, I'll close it there because I could I could carry on for for a long time. Please do, please do. We love to hear these stories. So coming from the wholesale side of things, and I guess you grew up in Italy. You traveled the world for brands, as you told us. Unfortunately, you never visited me because I would have loved to work with you. That's that's a big, you know, a big loss because I've never been to Amsterdam uh, other than a Schiphol airport and I feel bad for that. And, I'll, uh, you know, I, I need to tick that box as soon as possible. So in writing, I already invited you and here by on air, I'll repeat, I'll reiterate the open invitation to you. Um, and, and, and Rob, I think we should do uh, a touring the real time show um meetups and events uh, i think it's very adamant that we need to do it. we've been had we had several requests you know i have this dream of us having one of those shipping containers as a, re a mobile recording studio that we can just drive around the world and park outside retailers and brands and get people in there to you know have a talk have a drink look at the watches i think that'd be lovely i love that i love that and you know you know rob that's so good because one of the reasons i've done all of you know what what, what i've done and i think we we all have in common I was seeking for freedom in a way as well. So I wanted to be, I love, I cherished and I love my time working for the groups, the brands, et cetera, et cetera. But I was kind of 
dreaming about, you know, setting up something that at the same time would have made me free to do something different every day. And, you know, very stereotypically, it has really changed my, my life. And what you're proposing now is the next level uh, to that. So, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Well, thanks for your kind words and support. And if we do get the real-time show on the road, we'll make sure to roll by your neck of the woods and have a cup of tea. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait for that. Talking of the neck of the woods, Pietro, where are you based in the UK? And do you actually have a high street boutique? Do you Are you a pure player, which we call in the e-commerce world, somebody who only sells online? Please tell us a bit more about limited edition and the operations of it. Yeah, so I am very incidentally based in the UK. I got married to a lovely British woman in uh, 2008. We were living in Italy first and then in Switzerland. And then when we had the second child, we decided to move more where my wife was from and is, is from. And uh, yeah, so therefore we moved to the UK in 2010. As I was still involved with the Graham operations and I was taking care of the Middle East and Asia Pacific for Graham watches. And uh, yes, Graham also very kindly let me develop the idea of the limited edition when I was still employed by them, which I will always be grateful for. And yeah, from, from then 2014, I was already in the UK. And when I set up the limited edition, London and the UK seemed to be just the best place to be because Believe it or not, but in the UK now, in London, there's no MBNF, there's no Urwerk, there's no, um, uh, there's, there's, there's barely any Moser, for example. There's one, I think there's one door for Moser. And I'm just um, mentioning the most known, the most renowned, you know, and successful independent watchmakers. You can imagine all the, all the rest of the independent watchmaking ecosystem is completely absent here. So it kind of incidentally became the perfect platform for me to to start telling my story. And uh, the response was amazing because back in the days, I used to think I'm a Middle East expert. I'm a, you know, um, Eastern Europe expert and Asia Pacific expert, of course, is a big word, but you, you, you know what I, what I mean. So if I start something on my own, all these contacts, clients, et cetera, hopefully they will follow us and, you know, that will be our target audience, if you like. But but not at all. Well, the, the moment we started being based in the UK and telling the stories related to where we are as well, we're based in Leicester, which is in the middle of England, which is logistically a, a great place to be and also cost-wise. Uh, it doesn't have the London, uh, you know, pressure. But also we have a presence in London where we meet our collectors, we organize events, we invite every couple of months a different independent watchmaker and our collectors and both local UK-based collectors and international collectors, they like making the, you know, uh, the, the journey and, and, and the effort to come and see us in order to meet the, the watchmakers. And so we kind of you know how it works, Alan. You you start with your idea, and then as you navigate, you kind of adjust your business model depending on the circumstances and the cards that are played on your on your table. And that was exactly our our case. I don't give myself much credit uh, besides the credit of having been able to have a very small ego and uh, being happy to be flexible on a daily basis and adapt whatever we were doing uh, to try to do what to bring value. To watch, to watch collectors. If I'm a watch collector and I go to the 
you know, to the four corners of the world and I can't find the, 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 the watchmaker I'm really passionate about for whatever reason. But if I'm into, you know, I'm into Moser that I was mentioning before, but now, you know, talking of other watchmakers, you know, very successful today, Kudoke, Chapek, you know, Laurent um, uh, Ferrier, Chaikin, you know, we've been a big retailer for Chaikin across the years. And I can't find it anywhere. I would gladly, you know, go to London every weekend and see Pietro and see if I can meet one of these watchmakers, spend some time together. And you know what? When I make finally the decision to buy a timepiece from an independent, I'm going to give Pietro a little bit of a, of a payback for, 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 for putting that effort on the table for me to be exposed to the watchmakers. And so then I'll, I'll buy from Pietro. Because mind that most of these watchmakers, they sell directly, they sell to other retailers, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the battle is always on what, what we give first to collectors before we even expect collectors to eventually come back to us with a decision of uh, purchasing a watch. That's an amaz amazing journey and thank you for sharing. And, and we even have more in common. Not only do we like the same watches and watchmakers, but also same women because my wife is also English. So... Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm quite sure um, there is a nice friendship being forged right here. It's very cool how hybrid and agile you are. And you've mentioned that you had friends supporting you in all your communications. You're the face of the company, but you always write modestly co-founder. Um, how big is the operation today? I started in 2014 and I was on my own in my room at home. And uh, with only my wife, since you mentioned your wife, I'll mention again my wife because she was absolutely incredible in uh, encouraging me to take a risk because I'm not a risk taker as a person in general. But I, yeah, that's how I started. And then uh, uh, today we are a group of 15, 15 people, basically at the limited edition. So we have seven people sitting here where I'm sitting now in Leicestershire. And then there is another equivalent number of people sitting, you know, as freelancers around the world, really, because some UK based, some Italy based, uh, Ireland, our editor, Johnny, that I want to mention, because from the beginning in the, in the perspective of giving to collectors before even expecting to receive anything from collectors, we decided that if we were going to set up an e-commerce the minimum we could have done was to review every single watch that was going on the e-commerce. So um, doing in-depth reviews like, you know, Monochrome or Fratello was not, was not viable, if you like. But Johnny's been the one ensuring that on every watch there is our little take on that watch in the form of a short review that is uh, spontaneous, it's quite direct, it's quite straightforward, and it's, it's quite honest um, as far as I, I see it. So 15 in total in total now and uh, with a very inclusive mindset like you guys are having of including whoever is passionate about independent watchmaking to help us sending contents out there. I have even done, you know, contents with other retailers, you know, with, for example, Laurent Picciotto, who's a role model for, for me, for, for doing what he's, he's doing and for starting what he's now doing in the 80s, you know. So... I think inclusiveness has been paying paying off because he, he helped creating a, an ecosystem for independence that wasn't there. And I know that now the independents are very successful. Everybody, you know, is jumping on board. And, uh, you know, any retailer would know now that there are some independents that are very, very viable, even commercially. 
Uh, but I remember very clearly that in 2014, with the exception of Max, Edouard, uh, you know, Gronefeld, perhaps, Urwerk at very early days, were still vastly, vastly underrated. And I came too late for these successful watchmakers. So I had to start with those that were not successful at the time. And we kind of accompanied them on a journey. And the four, the first four that actually decided to trust us were Graham, as I said before. There was Custos as well, just because a friend was working at Custos and he thought it was a good idea, whatever I was trying to implement. And then Constantine Jakin that changed our destiny. And Andrea Streller, which was very instrumental for us to have a, a certain um, respect from, uh, you know, from the outset, basically. That's amazing. Um, amazing journey. Congratulations. And you're creeping up to your 10th anniversary. And I'm so happy to hear you also mentioning and recognizing our inclusiveness. And I've recognized that in you. And that's why I wanted you as the first retailer on our show. You've referred to Lolo, the founder and owner of Chrono Pachon in Paris. And definitely he's a role model for me as well. And I even go back because I'm second generation retailer. Unfortunately, the Dutch culture in watchmaking was very humble and minimalistic, and I say this in an uh, elegant way, call it non-existent up until, let's say, a decade ago, and we're still not there. I grew up going to uh, Antwerp, uh, seeing Gino Sukrovic, late Gino Sukrovic, may he rest in peace, of, uh, uh, in Antwerp and, and promoting the Indies. And I've seen, I remember seeing uh, the Vienna Halter, the Antiqua, for the first time as a kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and that sparked the independence in me and the, the passion for steampunk and then FB Journe and et cetera. And then coming, visiting to London, obviously I had to visit Marcus. The first time yes. I've ever, ever seen MBNFs and uh, Gribble Falsi and et cetera, if I haven't seen in Basel. Um, growing up in the Netherlands, I, I had the honor to meet uh, Mr. Van der Klau. Um, oh, wow. So, so, so yeah, for me, yeah. you are literally the 2.0 because I don't think that independent ecosystem or platforms in retail or even in media have evolved to 3.0. So you are the embodiment of 2.0 in my humble opinion. So compliments to you. Now you call yourself the limited edition, but I think your title doesn't encompass everything you do. You focus on independence. You said that before. So I'm very curious, how do you go about in curating who you want to link up with? So I've scrolled through your brand list. I literally do not spot one brand that is owned by a group. There is one. There's one? Which one? <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's the exception that confirms the rule, as we say. It would be Arnold & Son, actually, that is, um, is owned by uh, Citizen, uh, technically. Um, and, but obviously, that's something that happened along the way. Yeah. Uh, but they operate very much like an independent, and I have a very good relationship. And uh, yeah, I was happy to make an exception in that case. So, so very interesting. So how do you go about with these rules and the exceptions? So let's say a... Ulysse Dardenne and Gérard Pergo, your old love. Huh? We can call it that way, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's, Gérard Pergo is the brand, uh, is the reason why I like watches for a start. So it's as simple as that. So 
they weren't independent for a long time. They started in the 80s coming back as an independent. They got bought by the caring group. So why did they caring? They're independent now. Would you take them on board now because they're independent? So, yes. So to, to go back to your broader question, I am, I am very lucky, again, to have a pool of shareholders that are friends and they completely got our idea since the beginning. So I am very free in the curation of our site. Of course, when we were working with Moser, when we were targeting to work with MBNF, you know, the idea was to try to start with the, with the strong independence, but then for whatever reason, it didn't happen because they were already too developed for, for us when we were very small at the time. So we, we changed the editorial line straight away. We said, listen, our main mission is to develop independent watchmaking. And like in music, as I said, I'm a big music fan, play the guitar, and I, I was always into niche rock music. If we can create a, an environment where if you're interested laterally or directly into the independence, you can actually get inspired and you don't necessarily have the same experience that you would have. And there's no criticism in this because I know why if you're a high street retailer, you have to streamline. Normally, if, if you visit an high street retailer, you'll have a selection of five, six, 10 brands, 15, you know, a, b- a bit more if you have a big, big, um, you know, store in, in New York City or, or in LA, but still confined to the idea that these will be the brands that will be pushed when you enter the door because they've invested in stock. They need to push those brands and, and, uh, and, you know, obviously they wouldn't have time to have a larger discussion about uh, the idea of independent watchmaking and even promote brands that they're not selling anything of. So in our curation, we have brands that are successful for us, some others that are, you know, mildly successful and some others that we haven't managed to sell anything. But we do like it, basically. We do like them. We believe they belong to this, to this environment of independent artisanal watchmaking for a reason or another. And they help our narrative of creating a certain a certain culture around independent watchmaking without being necessarily linked uh, or strangled by the idea that if we're not selling, if it's not commercially viable for us, no, we're not going to do it. Uh, because actually, rather than a limit, this has been a possibility for us. Because I can go out there, talk about any brand, and I have zero pressure about you know from nobody, n- nor internally by the means of how commercially viable a brand is, nor, how can I say, externally from people saying, why are you talking about that brand that is not in your store, you know? So, yeah, the the curation is very, very free. Uh, we try to, we have tried to organize it in two big categories. One is independent brands and one is master watchmakers because I do recognize there is a big difference between, between watchmakers. You know, the brands are, Brands are a different entity, different animal to the solo watchmakers who are the ones that really inspire us, you know, uh, in our passion big time. And Alan, I'm so happy you mentioned Viennet Alter because my Grail watch, when I started this, I said, you know, the Deep Space by Viennet Alter was the piece that for me, you know, was a bit of a iconic to what we wanted to, to achieve. And I said, the day we will be able to sell one of those it means that there was something, you know, in our, in our concept. And, and thank God that happened as well. So um, it was a bit of um, a re- revelation kind of, kind of moment that we had along the way. 
But yes, I don't know if I answered your question. So we we curate with the maximum freedom. Uh, we have all the independents. They know now when they launch their new brand, you know, their new uh, timepiece, they come to us, they talk to us and they say, do you think you would want to feature it? If yes, how? And if no, why? And so we have, at the moment, I have 10 watchmakers on, on, on my list that I know we are kind of, you know, uh, trying to understand if they can fit on the on the platform, and I'm uh, that keen interest that we have, uh, regardless of our of the commercial viability, is what keeps us alive. Because then, when I go online and I talk with people like yourself or with Johnny when we do our uh, weekly broadcasts on YouTube or on Instagram, etc., we always have something fresh to talk about, something new. And we can always gauge the interest that collectors may have about a watchmaker that we're not maybe entirely sure about and we're thinking about, and then understand through that whether we could find a space on the on the platform for for them. But yes, the media the media part of uh, of what we do is becoming really really big because when we take any watchmaker on board, we'd like to give them the space that they deserve. And uh, and it's not easy uh, to to create contents every day, as you know very well. But I recognized long time ago that that was our key to to make us different to what a normal retailer could do. Can you tell me one or two brands that you've identified that you've been following that you would love to work with that maybe you haven't approached yet or haven't had a chance to meet in person? Yes. So there is one we've been uh, chatting with uh, recently, which is Junge from uh, from Dresden. Uh, from Germany, uh, they came out recently with a with a, with a debut uh, watch. We haven't uh, we have covered uh, on on Instagram, and we are uh, we're talking to them to uh, to try to see if we can uh, if we can bring them um, on the platform because there is a real and Rob, you will know how it's ironic, but we all know that German watchmaking. It comes as a branch, more or less, of British watchmaking historically. I mean, we could discuss for ages about this, but I, I, I think you see, you, you see what I mean. Whereas now, because of the strong development of German watchmaking, the new wave of British watchmaking is actually coming back with a lot of links from from Germany. I mean, there is Felipe Pikulik that this week um, released a homage to Harrison. Uh, John Harrison, for example, we released with Kudok a, a British heritage version um, tribute watch uh, of the K2 as well. So we like connecting all these dots. So Junge is, uh, is you know, a very promising pair of uh, independent watchmakers that we would love to, to cover. And the second one, just to give you a couple, uh, we would really love to, to integrate a Japanese watchmaker because this is a big, a big thing. But I. I totally believe that now watchmaking, yes, Switzerland is still the perfect ecosystem to to you know to be a to be a watchmaker, but it's something that is spreading very very fast all around the world. And one of the big stories that we like to tell is uh, is how much of uh, you know great watchmaking you can find all over the world uh, these days. And uh, we like to be ambassadors for you know for promoting that. That's very interesting. I don't know if you know this, but I live in Dresden, so I'm only about five minutes away from where Junger is right now as a factory. So I might pop around and have a look through their window, see what I can see, because it looks pretty interesting. I, I was listening to your one of the last episodes when you were you were talking about your research for a red bar or, or a bar 
in in general in in Dresden to be able to set up a red bar a red bar group over there. So how <laughs> how are you doing with that research, by the way? Well, I've uh, I've done my due diligence. Let's put it that way. I've I've been around quite a few of the bars, but I'm not sure I can remember how to get back to any of them. So it's a work in progress. But I'll I'll let you know. So if I come down to Dresden, can I help you with your due diligence? It'll be a it'll be a great pleasure. Anytime, anytime. I love doing research for the show and for Red Bar. Yeah, so please do. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So, Pietro, what I love is the fact that you wanted to be free and you feel that freedom. And I also noticed you guys don't only sell new as an authorized dealer. You also make collabs, which is amazing, but also sell pre-owned. Do you have a criteria there what pre-owned you will or won't accept to sell? Yes, again, in the perspective of giving value to our collectors, basically we let our collectors, and now we're talking about more or less a thousand individuals around the world, we let them promote their own pre-owned pieces on our platform. So it's as simple as that. We'll have a new function coming up soon where the collectors will be able to actually load up their own collection on our website and on demand we can make those watches live available on our website as we are trying to create a curated and safe um, pre-owned, you know, uh, secondary small, small store on our, on our limited edition website. So, and those at the moment, they come live next to our own inventory. So if you go on the inventory page on our website, you see a mix between Uh, pre-owned pieces that come from our collectors' collections. And the key for me is that I, I know them personally and individually, so I can trust them 100% on you know, the origin, the quality, and the, uh, you know, all the certification that goes with it for every single time piece. So it's, again, a, an additional kind of protection that we, we try to give. Alongside our own inventory, when we started, we didn't have any inventory because You know, we started with a 80,000 pound investment in 2014 and that was it. You know, that's where we started from. So inventory was not something that we were going to try to flatter um, watchmakers with, you know, with promises about. And, uh, but now, yes, we do have our own inventory and uh, it's all there available, you know, for, for, yeah, watch, watch lovers to, to scroll through. That's actually a very cool feature and very innovative. So kudos to you. Going to the collabs, would you please mention some collabs that are still available, if they are available and not sold out immediately? Yeah, so thanks for this question, because another thing that I realized um, across, you know, these last eight years was the research of hype that unfortunately has become slightly overwhelming in our industry, to say the least. And I, I was actually measuring and understanding that it was becoming annoying for many of our collectors or at least those that talk to us you know so obviously I have no pretension to, to, to speak for the whole of the industry but very quickly I understood if I'm gonna do collabs I'm always gonna take that tiny amount of risk to make sure that A the watches are available at, you know for a reasonable amount of time for people to do their researches to enjoy their researches and not to feel necessarily 
forced to wake up at night with four credit cards available and try to, to, to select the one that is not going to send you an OTP, you know, uh, uh, because that would, uh, would mean that you would lose priority, you know, against some other collectors around the world. And all of these became so stressful for so many of them that I, I always, I never wanted to drag them into that kind of experience. So all of this to say that our collaborations normally we give plenty of notice in advance. We we leak on purpose, you know, images, you know, teasers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we do launches that are normally quite long, a week, a couple of weeks, so people can actually enjoy. And why do we like watches? We like watches because we like the 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 pleasure is also in in, in creating, in nurturing our knowledge, and in in researching and in in changing our mind and and still having the possibility to come back on a, on a bad decision that we may have made. And I have kind of internalized all of that because I think we get it now. Uh, so rather than rather than issuing an edition of uh, you know twenty pieces of a brand that I know I know for a fact that has a potential to sell forty, for example. And try to do it overnight so that uh, the day after I can go on Instagram and just uh, feel, feel, uh, you know, f- feed my ego and say, oh yeah, this was sold out in three minutes. This was sold out in 10 minutes. How good are we? I was never interested in that. And uh, we try to avoid that. So big introduction to, to say what is to say that some of our limited editions are still, collaborations are still actually available. Some others have gone sold out. Some other others, you know, pretty quickly as well. But as we learn along the way, uh, for example, the three last collaborations we, we launched, the one with the uh, British watchmaker, James Lamb, the one with the uh, singer reimagined, and the one with Schwartz Etienne are actually still technically available because we launched a quantity of watches that is superior to what we sold in the last year for each and every single watchmaker I'm talking about. Because again, I was, yeah, we're not in media. We're not chasing hype. We are a retailer. We want people to enjoy buying watches from us in in their own time. And then it's up to us to find the financial viability with 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 brands to make that possible, so that the watches are actually available. And we are not actually strangled by the idea that if we don't sell them overnight, we look like losers, or you know, or, or we can't honor our commitment to the brand. That is truly heartening to hear. So many of the projects I've been involved with when it comes to limited pieces are focused entirely on the rapidity of the sellout. How quickly can you get rid of that stock? How much can you brag about it on Instagram? And while, yes, it does stoke one's ego and make you feel pretty good and accomplished, I always left those projects thinking, hmm, what did we leave undone? How many people did we annoy? In some cases, it seemed we annoyed far more people than were able to buy the watch. In some cases, hundreds, possibly thousands of people would have bought watches that were available in very small quantities. And so I started to shift my position and I have reevaluated this uh, glory of FOMO. I was never a fan of it myself anyway, and I suffered it as a consumer on more than one occasion. But I now am staunchly in support of annual editions, actually. That's where I came down. I think something should be limited. I think a brand should be allowed to uh, know how many pieces of a certain model it has to produce in a certain amount of time so it can plan effectively and so it can give relatively accurate projections of delivery dates and whatnot and take care of its quality control in a responsible and unpressured manner. But 
I think if you make a watch available for a significant period of time, but then you make quite clear that it won't be made again thereafter, but put no actual cap on the limitation, it's a nice, responsible, and fair way to do it. What do you think about that strategy? So, yeah, I I totally agree with you, uh, Rob. I think it's it's a very fine line. We all know, and hopefully if we have done our job to explain what independent watchmaking is all about, we all know that we are talking about limited quantities. We all know how precious these incredible devices are. And uh, we all know that we couldn't justify huge quantities because that would have would be seen as as you know the greed of trying to sell more than you know uh, just in case if we send, can sell 500 1000 would we actually do it um i think the truth is like you say in the middle to find that right formula and again i can only speak for the audience that actually actively follow us and i learn from them every day and i think the right formula for us is as i said if i have in mind the yearly quantity that we, that we could potentially sell on a particular model then i know that i can gauge my you know uh the the the, the total amount of pieces i'm going to produce on a collaboration around that number and that should give us plenty of time to launch to tell a story to retell a story to let the story live you know for a longer longer time than just overnight and just you know then again going out there with our egos and saying you know sold out sold out so Annual editions, limited editions, I think it's for as long as it is proportioned to the potential that the brand has and the perception that the brand has. For example, with the Kudoke K2 British Heritage, we, uh, we, launched, uh, we launched a quantity that was never, uh, what can I say, uh, it was 30 pieces. It looked exaggerated, but at the beginning we started to think about 10 and then we said 20. And then I, I, it came to just saying, okay, how many do we think, how many Kudokas can we actually sell in a year, you know, based on our experience? And we believe that we agreed with Kudoka that, yeah, 30 should have been a, a, a good number to cover the whole of the year. And in that case, we, went, we were wrong because actually those 30 pieces were sold in, uh, in, a, in a month and a half. But again, I wasn't worried because we gave plenty of information out there and a month and a half actually compared to other launches is actually a pretty, a pretty good time to have a good experience and make a, an educated decision. So short answer to your question is I don't know where the, what the magic number is every time, but I just try to base it on common sense and on the feedback we get from collectors. And I have the goodwill from brands because brands for what we do for them, they're not there just to sell us an, another watch or to try to sell to Pietro 10 more watches, 15 more. Let's try to push him to 20. So he's going he's gonna to financially you know, cover this. And then if he sells, he sells. If he doesn't, you know, it's his problem. We never are in, the, in that situation. So we find, so brands are very cooperative in how we structure the, the launches so that we are not under the pressure of if it doesn't work well, we need to eat up the stock. And on the other side, collectors, which is more important, are now in a situation where, you know, Pietro will try to sell them a watch every day <laughs> just because it's a fantastic uh, idea. It's a great release. And for whatever reason it is, they need the time to pull over it. That's the way, that's the balance that you want to strike where you can actually have a deal in place with the maker that doesn't hamstring you into having to perform any kind of dark arts in the shadows to get rid of those watches or to put too much pressure on your clientele. Very, very nice to hear indeed. 
So what can we look forward to seeing from you in the very near future? Where do I start? Well, first of all, I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to watch the wonders and spend most of my time, I guess, at the AHCI um, showcase at the Iceberg in Geneva. So if any of your listeners are around, it'd be nice to, you know, as it works, it, as it works over there, you know, basically people have drinks, talk to the watchmakers, and it's a great opportunity to actually spend time with them. And we are one of the official sponsors. I'm very, I'm very proud of that, of the AHCI, which for those that are not familiar with is obviously the most important um, association of independent watchmakers that started in 1984. By the uh, from the idea uh, coming from Sven Andersen and Vincent Calabrese, Sven Andersen being the obviously legendary Danish now Danish Swiss uh, watchmaker, and Vincent Calabrese, Italian Italian Swiss <laughs> watchmaker, who was the inventor of the Golden Bridge tourbillon, sorry, the Golden Bridge for Corum watches. Anyways, this association has has come a long way, and now a includes uh, a number of uh, older and fresh and, and young watchmakers. And it's, for me, the place to go and the place to be in Geneva. And I'm not saying that because obviously we are a partner because, we, you know, it's, uh, it's just we, we, we just support the association, but we have no commercial interests uh, related to the association. Also, I will be visiting Time to Watches. I see Time to Watches as a great laboratory and a workshop of, you know, the, the latest uh, uh, crazy trends. So I want, I want to go there, definitely. And yeah, finally, I'll be at Watches of Wonders as well, where a few of our independents will be represented at the Carré des Orangers. And uh, that will be the place where we will discuss, you know, the planning for, for next year, you know, possibly some new collaborations. Uh, we've been very busy on that side, so I, I think we're going to be we're going to be quiet for the next few months. Also, because like Alan said, we are approaching in 2025 because it's 2015 when we actually went online officially. So we're going to, uh, it's basically 2025 that will be our 10th anniversary. And we have a couple of big collaborations happening for that. One that I can anticipate for this year is the second coming from the Ophion collaboration. So we, the first one was the Guild Spectre. 40 pieces limited edition that we uh, launched together with the Horophile, Amr Sin, great character and great uh, personality in the world of watchmaking, so passionate about independence as well. The first edition was uh, was really great. Um, we, we loved developing it together and with Ophion for the exact reason, Rob, you mentioned before. Ophion, again, we wanted to launch 10 pieces, then 20 pieces, then we went to 40, which seemed like a an obscene number of pieces for how limited Ophion is. Uh, but yeah, we sold all of them and we had uh, we had 70 more people keen to eventually for a second edition. So we are seriously considering that. And um, this, I mean, actually it's, it's going to happen before the end of this, uh, this, this year. And uh, it gives us the opportunity to push also affordable independent watchmaking, which was always one of our big, big things. Uh, we wanted to, you know, when I was playing guitar, when I was 15, I could never, ever afford, you know, a, a Gibson Les Paul at the time, or, you know, even <laughs> even a Stratocaster, a Mexican Stratocaster, if, if you want in those days. Uh, but there were, there were other ways to nurture the, the, the passion and, uh, other, other 
guitar brands that were quirky, were interesting for other reasons. And the same in independent watchmaking. I say there is a great watch for every, every wallet, if you like, for every phase of your financial life. And so Orpheon came um, very, very useful to express that concept when you look at what Orpheon can offer in terms of, you know, the movement, the, the dials, uh, the case, uh, all the details on the watch. And the price point, which is uh, really, really uh, competitive. So this was a project that we were really attached to. That's amazing. I can't wait to see that watch in uh, less than two years. For our dear listeners, Ophion is spelled O-P-H-I-O-N. If you want to Google it or just go to the limitededition.co.uk. Pietro, you know, the funny thing is I uh, don't do market research for competitors because I think I only have colleagues um, and I do believe in the ecosystem. And the funny thing is you came on my radar, not so much that I spotted you as a retailer. I first thought you were even a blogger because I remember you coming on my physical radar very vividly. It was with the Disruptors show that you did with the legendary Jean-Claude Bivel. Could you talk us through how you came up with the idea, how you linked up with JCB and continue also to your second show the protagonist yes thank you thank you alan yeah that was uh, unexpected for me as well because i had never met jean-claude biver before in person and uh, all i didn't know jean-claude biver uh, i mean uh, we we had never been in touch of course we all know who jean-claude biver is but certainly he didn't know who i was <laughs> i can give you i can give you that uh, for certain a common friend, Sophie, who I, um, who I thank again, Sophie Rindler, um, who was uh, involved with um, the brand Toker at the time, Toker Watches. She put me in touch with uh, Jean-Claude and we, we decided to kind of, uh, Jean-Claude being a great giver, a great giving person, he decided to kind of uh, um, utilize our channel to just to talk, you know, talk about his passions, his uh, philosophy his idea of what watchmaking should be all about and then with a very free and large um, agenda we touched upon so many different uh, aspects of watchmaking as an analogy always to to life and to business life and to real life if you like so these little uh, little lives that are quite still quite niche you find them on youtube mainly uh, they st- we did them on Instagram where everything disappears very fast. And then we felt compelled to actually publish them on, uh, on YouTube. So you can still find them. And we, we treat all sorts of uh, topics, you know, during the pandemic, after the pandemic. And uh, I'm actually really proud because there was no agenda to related to cover any brand in particular or to promote any project to, you know, uh, from our side or, or from Jean-Claude's side. Uh, you know, Jean-Claude is launching his his new brand uh, with his own son. They're going to launch it in Geneva before Watches and Wonders. And this that was something he was working on at the time, but it was never part of the, ag- the agenda to promote anything uh, specifically. And so it's just two people with two very different um, pathways uh, talking about things that they may or may not have in common. For me, there was just a small, small, you know, entrepreneur trying to get a, a small venture to to work out the best that I could. Being confronted and being put together, one of the absolute legends of our industry, because you know, 
is quite simple for the way I look at watchmaking. If Jean-Claude B- Biver hadn't made a stand in at the end of the uh, 70s, you know, in favor of Blancpain, which was the brand he was involved with when he famously said, Blancpain never made a quartz watch and never will, will do, or something on those lines anyway. Uh, when the whole world was uh, jumping on the quartz wagon at the time and uh, and uh, mechanical watchmaking nearly got extinct with even some famous movement manufacturers, you know, moving to China. You know, for example, um, if we if we look at the story of uh, Seagull um, movement makers, for, for instance, just to give an example, because I know you had a recent episode as well with uh, Richard from uh, Studio Underdog and it made me think about that. Yeah, being uh, being having the opportunity to actually chat and pick his brain publicly the way we've done, and then answering Q and A, you know, like you you do, uh, was a great formative experience to say the least. And I I consider myself very lucky to have uh, to have been able to do that. That's amazing, and you're so right that he's a giver. He graced us with the honor to be the first ever person to be interviewed on a show, which is the Thursdays. So Tuesday, we always do Q and A's. Thursdays, we always do interviews like this. So he is really amazing. We are going to meet him and his son on, I believe, March 30th, Rob and I. So we're very curious to see what he's going to launch. Are you guys going to sell JCB watches, Pietro? So um, we are are getting uh, uh, some of the right people to come and, and, and look at the watch but again we uh, i'm very honest in saying that we have no agenda with uh, jean-claude so he's a giver so we're gonna give on our side just expose the right people to to his new creations and see what happens basically and that's that's the true story um we 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 we, we haven't even talked about being retailers or you know the way we should call ourselves in regards to this new brand that is launching is just, you know, I'm going to keep it the same. Basically, I'm going to meet Jean-Claude with some of the right people and see what happens, basically. That's amazing. And that's how it should be. And that's how it used to be in the watchmaking industry and definitely the diamond industry, which it's still like that. So it's music to my ears. Uh, Pietro, I know you're very busy, but uh, I have so many more questions for you, but maybe I want to round it up going quickly to your second show and link a devil's advocate question to the title of that show. So the pro protagonist tell us a bit more about that and the bonus question is who is the antagonist in that case for you (laughs) so the protagonist was one of the first series that we have launched on instagram because we have done everything on instagram up until this year where we are trying humbly to develop the youtube a little bit more because we find it a cleaner environment where we can actually quietly project our contents in a, in, a, in, a, in a better way. The protagonist came from a very simple idea, you know, for as much as I don't mind myself and my voice and my face, <laughs> which I had to put out there to create that bond with our audience. I think what our audience really is interested in is to see those protagonists of the passion that they, that move our collectors. So the watchmakers. So the protagonists were and are the watchmakers or the CEOs of those independent brands that um, that animate and uh, you know our our website and our passion. So we have interviewed dozens of watchmakers, sometimes multiple times, with the idea of 
getting our collectors to see for the first, you know, some of them, like you mentioned, Dave, <laughs> Dave from Garrick, uh, some of them had never seen Dave before uh, in an interview. If you go on YouTube, you can hardly see Dave, you know, from Garrick talking about watchmaking. We've done it with uh, Ludovic Balouard, uh, you know, and it was very difficult to find uh, a content in English with Ludovic Balouard. So I, I did a, obviously a direct translation from French to English with him live on Instagram. And then we, we recorded this and put it on YouTube. So everything is still available there. Uh, Andrea Strella, you know, very difficult to find contents about Andrea Strella. Vienna Alter a couple of times. Max Grace graced us with his presence in the very first episode, the very first broadcast that we did back in 2016, I want to say. 16 or 17, maybe. Maybe 17. So, yeah, the idea was to give voice to the real interesting guys, you know, because I'm a facilitator. I'm somebody in the middle to try to make things happen. If talking again about my love for guitars, I, I, I love hearing from, from the makers. I love hearing from the, the people playing those incredible instruments rather than only just the retailer in the middle, if you see what I mean. So yes, the protagonist has now become the independence and the independence is on YouTube and it's a, it's a very, a very simple format where also you guys are invited to join if you'll have the time in the future. Uh, so we can share also a bit more of, um, of your background and, and Rob's background as a watchmaker as well. It'd be an absolute pleasure. That would be our pleasure. Absolutely. And what a lovely moment to round off the show. Pietro, thank you for your time. It's been a great hour of chat and recording and getting an insight into what you do. And I hope we get you back on the show in the future, but we'll gladly be guests on yours in the meantime. I am sure our audience will have many questions for you and would like to get in touch. And if they would like that, they can do so via the usual channels. You can find me on Instagram at Rob Nuds, R-O-B. N-U-D-D-S. You can find Alon there at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or you can contact us via email at either rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. We will be back next week with another Q&A session and another interview with one of Watchmaking's leading lights. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking. Bye.